I hope you, uh, if you didn't remember to bring your study guide from last week, perhaps you picked up a new one this morning. Uh, we're continuing the theme from last week, Recovering Godly Behavior. And this will be the last uh, in our sort of recapitulation of the themes that uh, surfaced during our study of Luke chapters 1 through 8. I'll be turning next time, uh, returning to the narrative of Luke's gospel in chapter 9, uh, and we'll continue that uh, particular um, uh, travels with Jesus and his disciples in their public ministry. Last week we talked about uh, two things in particular, being devoted to one another in brotherly love, and bearing one another's burdens, and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. And we emphasized the fact that um, the two things that we need to be committed to in, in, in these uh, particular points is that we need to be committed to one another's success. We need to be uh, prayerful, encouraging, uh, expectant, uh, interested, uh, devoted to one another's success, and success uh, is defined in God's terms that we are fulfilling his purposes for us, so that we are rejoicing and encouraging people who are um, kind of in the, on the winning uh, side for the moment, you know, that we, we're holding them up and encouraging them in their success. The other side of the coin is that sometimes uh, we fail. Sometimes we fall into a pit. Sometimes uh, that's because of uh, tragedies and traumas beyond our control. Uh, sometimes uh, there's financial disaster. Sometimes um, other people uh, break relationships and leave us in a tailspin. And uh, sometimes our own sin uh, gets us into trouble and we find that we're laying in the mud that we ourselves made. And, uh, you know, we're just kind of in a mess. And yet the church of Jesus Christ is a family. We're, we're together as a family. And even when uh, brothers and sisters have fallen, we are to be there to rescue them, to, to help them up, to come alongside of them, and to, again, bring encouragement, to bring support, uh, to bring... Um, you know, understanding and, and nurture. And even if they have uh, sinned and have done what's wrong, um, the scripture says that those who are mature need to come alongside them and help them. Uh, the goal is always restoration. You know, we, we have a policy that guides us in church discipline, and the goal is never how to kick people out of the church. The goal is always how to restore people into vibrant fellowship on the winning side. Uh, the desire is always recovery. It's never um, ostracism. And so uh, our goal is to help people, um, regardless of whether you know they're on the success road or the failure road. The church should be a family where we know we can come and find uh, the kind of support and encouragement that we need. Well, there are three more things that I want to touch on this morning in the time that we have. And um, 
I'm actually having to preach two two different sermons this morning because I got further at eight o'clock last week, so now I have to remember what I didn't tell you and <laughs> kind of pull it together. But anyway, um, be diligent to preserve the unity in the bond of peace. Um, if you look in Ephesians chapter four, in Ephesians chapter four, it's in your study guide. It's also the text for this particular point, uh, Paul, uh, again, turns one of those corners where he's moving from the doctrinal foundational teaching to the practical application. And in doing so, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. As I have looked at the things that are precious to the heart of God, the unity of believers has to be right up at the top. Unity is predicated by love, and God is love. And the love that he has shown to us through Jesus Christ, he has also given to us through Jesus Christ. That capacity to love uh, beyond any human ability. And the essence of unity is based upon the love that we have for each other, the desire, no matter what, to, to stay with each other, to, to be together, to encourage and bless and, and, and be committed to one another. And so uh, Paul says, preserve the unity of the Spirit. Notice that he uses the word preserve. Eager to maintain in the version that I read. The reason is because when we come into the family of God, into the body of Christ, we have this unity. The Holy Spirit gives it to us. He baptizes us into the body of Christ. And in doing so, makes us a member one of the other we become members one of the other. You read the rest of the chapter and you see that very clearly. And the glue that holds us together as you move toward the middle of chapter 4 is love. And so we are baptized by one spirit into one body. We have one Lord and one Father and one Jesus Christ and one baptism and one family. And we are placed there by the Holy Spirit. So... To maintain the unity of the Spirit is to preserve what we have been given at our new birth. And Paul says, be eager or diligent to maintain that unity. It should be something that we give attention to, give diligence to, give detail to. We need to guard against anything that threatens to fracture the family of God. If you go back uh, in your Bibles, I believe it's um, 
Psalm, uh, let's see, Psalm 133. I always think of this when I think of unity. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. This is the anointing moment of of the high priest. And this is the freshness of Mount Zion in Israel. And and God is saying, I love these things. These, These things are precious to me. I love these things. And I love the unity of the brothers. I love it when brothers dwell together in unity. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, as we call it in John uh, chapter 17, I'm not going to read from that, but you know where it is. But as he's praying this last prayer uh, for his disciples on this earth before he enters into that intense period of the arrest and betrayal and crucifixion, he prays for his disciples that they can experience unity. Lord, I pray that they will be one. Father, that they will be one as we are one. You and I, from the beginning, that these disciples will be one like us. Imagine the the unity of Jesus Christ with his Father, face to face, together, co-equal, co-eternal, with the same purpose and the same devotion and the same commitment. He says, I'm praying for my disciples that they will have that kind of oneness that you and I, Father, share. So when you think about it, how important is unity to God? And how important is it to us? Now, a lot of times people get unity and unison confused. They get unity and agreement confused. And uh, I want to, to, uh, to clarify that, what, what unity is not. Unity is not agreeing on everything together. We don't have to agree to have unity. Part of the process, for example, of seeking the mind of God, and we do that in two ways. We do that through prayer, and then through the deliberative or legislative assembly. And there ought to be freedom, whether it's a committee, whether it's the board of the church, whether it's a church business meeting, like we have one coming up in a few weeks, there ought to be freedom for every person to say what they believe or think as they've prayed about it. There needs to be that openness, that encouragement. You need to say what you think. There will be differences of opinion. A a, a proposal that we call a motion may come to the floor and um, there may be some discussion and somebody says, well, I don't like the way that's worded. I think we ought to word it this way. I want to... I want to amend that, or I want to, I don't like any of it. I want to substitute a motion for that one. 
Um, and, and there's debate and there's discussion and we're not in agreement. But eventually we come to something that we can uh, vote on and we vote and, and say the vote is 80% I and 20% nay. We're not in agreement, really. We're not in unison. But we can have unity. You know, throughout our conduct in the meeting, we show love and we choose our words carefully and we don't accuse or incite or be rude or belittle. We bring arguments to bear that have reason behind them with respect. And when the vote is taken, the matter is ended. And we choose to leave in harmony and love for one another. Uh, unity does not mean unison. And many times people confuse that. They get all bollocked up and they feel like they can't speak their mind. They don't want to be contrarian. I, I t we're about to elect a, a new leadership team and the first thing you can ask the people that have served on it, the first thing I tell the leadership team in the first meeting is, the congregation has elected you to come into this room and speak your heart and mind. If you do not do that, you are failing your mission. You've been told to come here and prayerfully express your feelings and ideas and convictions. Otherwise, we're not going to collectively find the mind of Christ as we pray over things. And it's terribly important that we take that seriously. But it's equally important that we cherish and value every person in the room and love them and we're committed to them. And so we go around the room before we ever start our meeting and we pray for one another and we listen to prayer requests and we find out what's happening in people's lives and, and we take the time to lift each other to the Lord because we're brothers and sisters and we love each other. And now we have to handle the very special and sacred business of the Lord. And we have to be honest about that. You know, and, and I plead with the leadership team, please don't just give me blind support. I'll end up looking foolish like a naked king. You remember that story? I don't want to look that way. I don't want to be a complete idiot because nobody told me I wasn't wearing any clothes. I want somebody to say, if, if necessary, in the right sense of humor, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. What possessed you? Oh, okay, maybe I better rethink this. Uh, because it's important that we care for each other like that. You know the thing that splits most churches? This is statistically true. The thing that splits most churches is carpets and chairs and curtains and paint. It is. It literally is. It's not doctrine. It's not moral issues. People fight over what carpet to buy. And churches split over it. 
I pastored a church in Franklin, Tennessee that ultimately split over furniture. Furniture didn't split, the church did. It's very sad. It's very sad. And when it was all said and done, the church was about half the size that it had been before. There were only a few people that were ornery and out of pocket, but unfortunately it caused disillusionment among a much greater number of people, and the end result was that we were about half as strong. And in the weeks that followed that, the naysayers were gone. They had left in protest. They had bailed out, and they were no longer part of the body. So you would think those of us that were left were together, right? Well, we were, but there was a power over the group because fracture had occurred in the family of God. We were grieving. And before that time, we were retaining about two out of three visitors and growing rapidly. And after that, we went months without anyone staying. We, had, we still had visitors, but people didn't stay. And sometimes uh, they would be honest with me because I tried to follow up and find out, you know, uh, if you don't mind telling me, why didn't you feel like you could uh, make our church your home? And they would say, well, we can't put our finger on it, but there's a sadness. It's like you're grieving. It's like there's this dark cloud over the family, over the body. And, and we don't want to be a part of that. It's just, it doesn't feel good because of fracture. You know, and we were grieving. We, we, we had lost half of our body. We were experiencing post-amputation grief and sadness and it was it was hard and it was over dumb stuff dumb stuff you know because people fuss over those things I didn't plan this this way but it just turned out like this I think maybe Ron might have mentioned to you that uh, we're receiving the check this week for uh, the road project. Um, we'll be we'll have about three hundred between three hundred and three hundred twenty thousand dollars net delivered to us this week, and um, we're entering into an interesting period. We spent two years doing due diligence and background and gaining uh, uh, bids and having drawings done and appraisals and. Uh, all of that work to uh, to say, you know, this is the damage that is being caused us, just to just to go back to zero, so to speak. And um, by God's grace and mercy, we've gained about a hundred thousand more than the two hundred thousand we were initially offered. And so, um, you know, when it's all said and done, we're, we're going to be entering into now a period of decision-making. We have to make decisions. Your leadership team has decisions to make. We have subcommittees that are going to have to do study and decision because all that preceding work was to uh, assess accurately our loss and our damage. But going forward, we have to decide 
how is the best way now to utilize these funds? What, what's, what's the key? And um, we have a lot of choices and decisions that will come before you as a congregation. It will come before our board. There's going to be things that we're going to have to decide. And it's going to be those little picky things, you know. Do we buy sodium lights or halogen lights? You know, for the parking lot. Well, guess what? We're not going to bring, bring that to the congregation. <laughs> we'll have somebody investigate that and make a decision for us. But, but the truth is, there will be all those kinds of things. And you know, for every decision that you bring out, everybody's going to have an opinion. And they're not all going to have the same opinion. We're entering into a time when the potential for disunity is significant. We're going to have to be very sure that we preserve the unity of the Spirit. That at the end of the day, that we remember that the most important thing we do is honor and glorify Jesus Christ. That we love each other and that we win disciples, make disciples of people who do not know him, winning them to faith and bringing them into discipleship. The most important thing we do is to stay on mission. That is our real goal. All this other stuff just kind of helps us do that. It's, it's ancillary. It's on the periphery. And yet the enemy would love to use it to bring division. We have to be careful to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And, and to be able along the way to speak our heart and mind in love and accept the constituted authority that has been given us. We have a way for the congregation to vote. We have a way for the leadership team to act. We have this proscriptive um, guideline for how we function. And that's our governing documents. And so we... We live by those in the interest of unity so that we honor Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. I'm sorry, that's the end of Ephesians 4. This is a part of being devoted to one another in love, bearing one another's burdens, preserving the unity of the Spirit. You know, it is impossible for a group of people to stay together more than a few minutes, well, maybe an hour or two, without someone getting their feelings hurt. Somewhere along the line, somebody's going to get hurt, maybe just a little slight. You know, I wonder why they looked at me like that. Or, or, or it may be something that really, after long friendship, just pierces the heart. But the truth is, is that all of us are damaged goods. Every one of us have weaknesses and we have failed. We are all in need of a Savior. We're all broken. There's no one that can point a finger and say, I don't have any sin so I'm going to throw the stone. Paul says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, as God in Christ has forgiven you. 
Remember the story in the Gospel of Luke about uh, the woman that came into Simon the Pharisee's home when Jesus was having dinner and, and she broke the, the ointment over his feet and she was washing his feet with her tears and drying it with her hair. And the Pharisee said, oh, Jesus, if you had any idea who this woman was, you know, that's doing this to you, you wouldn't let this happen. And Jesus told a parable, but in essence what he said to Simon was, Simon, if you had any idea how big a sinner you were, you wouldn't open your mouth. The difference between you and her is she knows she's a sinner and you're living an illusion. Our love for God is as deep as, a, as the awareness of our sinfulness. You know what I mean by that? Our love for God is as deep as the awareness of our sinfulness. When we look into the chasm of our own heart and see how black and ugly and wicked it is, the more we see, the more we love God. Because we see how much He has forgiven us. And the more we see how much God has forgiven us, the bigger capacity we have to forgive each other because we're all in the same soup. You know, I don't have anything up on you guys. We're all together in this. And, and to think that I can judge someone is just utter foolishness. Yes, I can tell if your behavior is biblical or not. But I can't judge you. Do you understand the difference between that? I can look at the scripture, and if it says, don't lie, and I know you just lied to me, I can say, you just lied to me. But I cannot pass judgment on, on your heart or your consequence or your behavior. Because I also am a sinner. I've been saved by grace. And maybe I didn't lie today. But have I ever lied? And why did I do it? Oh, probably for the same kind of reason you just did. Okay, have, have I ever sinned? And why did I do it? Probably because of the reason you just did. I can't judge you. Because I don't have the right. I'm not your judge. Even though I can honestly say, you lied to me. Let's straighten this out. I want to have harmony with you. I'm not condemning you for being a liar because I stand under the same condemnation. We, we learn to live together. And so the scripture says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. Kind and tender-hearted. Listen, the, the object of your kindness and tender-hearted is the person who just offended you. They just did something to you. That's the context. Be kind and tender-hearted to them. Because, first of all, that's how God treats you. 
And secondly, because you need to move toward them to, to bring forgiveness, your own forgiveness, and to bring reconciliation. And um, we were talking about that in the, in the 8 o'clock service. Uh, someone, and if it was you, please forgive me, I'm not trying to betray a confidence, but, but someone recently asked me, um, you know, uh, I, I, can't, I can't bring harmony in this relationship. I can't get this person to forgive me, and, and, I, and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, that's not your job. Your job is not to make the other person forgive you. Did you know you can't do that? <laughs> you can't. You've, you've heard me tell the story about the time when Stephen was about eight, and we had had a particularly challenging day. And, uh, you know, I had, I, I had just been to the limit and to the mat with him several times. And it's bedtime, and it's time to tuck in, have prayer. And uh, we prayed together, and then, then he looks at me with, like, the wisdom of the aged. And he says, Dad, when are you ever going to learn that you cannot make me do anything? I can make life very difficult for you. I can make it very uncomfortable. You may be very unhappy, but you are correct. Short of Velcroing you to the wall and duct taping your mouth, I can't make you do anything. And even then, you're not making them. You're just kind of preventing any behavior. Duh. Get with it, Dad. You know? And that was like, man, I wish you'd waited a few more years to figure that out. <laughs> but anyway, Paul says in Romans chapter 14, in so far as possible, be at peace with all men. There are some people that will not let you be at peace. If you're looking, it's Romans 14 toward the end. Uh, insofar as possible, be at peace, or maybe 13 toward the end, Marge. <laughs> when somebody finds it, you can call it out. We can't make the other person respond. But we can take responsibility for our part. To forgive, to be kind, to, to seek harmony, to seek reconciliation, to promote unity. We can do that, and we must do that as much as possible. And finally, uh, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verses 24 through 26, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Notice the text. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You remember the the situation of the Hebrew believers? They were uh, living in tough times. Um, They were under severe persecution for their faith. Uh, It wasn't the kind where they were being taken out and martyred, necessarily. But what was happening was, uh, as Jewish followers of Christ, they were being ostracized by the Jewish people who had not become Christians, and by the Romans. And as a consequence of that, their businesses were not being frequented. You know, they'd go to the other side of town to buy a bagel instead of buying it from you. They were rejecting them as, a, as family. Their mother and dad weren't speaking to them anymore. Their brothers weren't talking to them. Uh, they were feeling very much alone. They were in financial difficulties. They were wondering, man, have we made the right choice? Is it worth it? You know, when we get into difficult times and, and hard situations, our tendency is to withdraw. We, we feel wounded. You know, we're like the, the dog or the cat that climbs, uh, crawls under the porch to hide and maybe die there because we're feeling like we need to just get off and lick our wounds. And the reality is, the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is the time you need to get together more. The tougher your life gets, the more you need to go to church. That's our context. The more you need to be there. You need to be with the brothers and sisters. You need to be in the fellowship. You need to be worshiping God. You need to be hearing the Word of God. You need to be talking to each other. You need to go downstairs after this service and have a cup of coffee and sit at a table and find out what's happening in somebody else's life, and then tell them what's happening in your life, and and pray for each other. You need to get together. The tougher it's becoming, the more we need each other. And so the Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And, And as you see the day of Christ drawing near, that means the increasing turmoil and tension in the world and and, and we're being more and more in difficult straits as we see that developing. We have a responsibility to, to draw together, to encourage each other, to be together, to be supportive. We need that kind of unity and harmony. Because if we don't have it, you remember all of you, I'm sure, at one time or another, were at some camp somewhere and somebody... Uh, did the illustration where they took the coal out of the fire and set it off to the side and then came back around later and pointed to the fact that while the fire was still blazing, that ember had died out. That's a very valid illustration. We need to draw close to the warmth of the family. We need to be in the body. When times are tough, we need to be right in the middle. (laughs) We need to draw from the warmth. We need to draw from the light. We need to be in the, in the midst so that we can burn brightly. If you go off and, and, and play Lone Ranger, you're, you're going to shrivel up. You're going to lose your focus. You're going to lose track of why you're doing what you're doing. Um, 
the message of the of the gospel of the scriptures are going to fade into the background and and you're going to be getting all these reasons why you deserve to feel sorry for yourself and why you ought to be in the stew and why you ought to uh, take other avenues. People end up in very bad situations sometimes because of that. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. But all the more as you see the day approaching, draw together. And when you come together, consider how to encourage, how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, I hate to say this because it's the one thing that people don't want to hear when they feel like they're stretched to the limit and they just can't, you know, they've got so many problems, they just can't see the light of day. But the truth is, that's the time when you need to get invested, when you need to give. You need to give yourself, you need to give some time, you need to... You need to get involved. If you are only focused on your problems, life is going to look pretty bleak. But when you get invested in somebody else, how to love and good deeds, it brings perspective. The Bible is full of wisdom, and this is part of it. When you feel alone and on the outside and defeated, you need to come to the inside and get in the group, and get involved. I'm not talking about, I'm not making an appeal here for getting on some church committee and doing some church thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about listening to somebody else share their heart and realizing that, that there's other people in difficulty and praying for them. And, and listening instead of always talking and, and hearing what's going on, so that you're, you're beginning to share and bear the burdens together. How many of us are inclined when we're depressed to bail out? And the scripture tells us, do just the opposite. You know, it goes against everything in us. I have arthritis, and so everybody says to me, are you walking? I don't want to walk. <laughs> it hurts to walk. That's tough. Yeah, but it's good for you. Okay, I understand. I get it. I get it. You feel like being alone? Get with the body. Oh, I don't want to do that. That's hard. I know. I know. But it's good for you. You need to come together and pray together. Well, five not-so-simple things. Huh? <laughs> five main points. Where is God speaking to your heart? What is it that he wants to tweak in you to bring it on board? What needs to be fixed? Father, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts to your word, that we would be fertile soil in which it can take root and grow. 
that we would be the kind of followers that love unity, that preserve it diligently, that care for each other, and that draw together, even in difficult situations, we draw together so that we might draw strength from you and from each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.